Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, we'll talk about the Day of Atonement, approaching God, the scapegoat, and Jesus. Leviticus 16. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. There's generally a blog post for each one of these lessons on my website, livethroughjesus.com, and all of the past studies are done in writing and available to purchase there for under $5. Since I'm writing as I go along, the current study may not be there quite yet, but it definitely will be available to purchase once all of the episodes for it are complete. I'll try to let you know, but you can also just check the website periodically, maybe each week when a new blog post comes out. If you'd like for me to email you whenever a new blog post or a new study comes out, then email me at Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com and I'll put you on the email list. Okay, so now that all of that's out of the way, let's get started on this week's lesson. On the last episode, we talked about how two of Aaron's sons offered some sort of unprescribed offering to the Lord, and God killed them for it. And if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because we talk about the seriousness of serving the Lord and how we all have a job to do in the kingdom of God and that we need to take that seriously. In the chapter today, God is giving Aaron further instruction because of what his sons did. So let's go ahead and read the first three verses of Leviticus 16. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord, and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering, and of a ram as a burnt offering. Okay, so because Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, had approached God in a different way than God had instructed them, God wanted to remind Aaron that they couldn't just approach him any old time in any old way, right? God is the king, and you do not approach a king in just any way you choose. He is the one that dictates who and when and how a person enters his presence right? And it's no different for us today. If we want to enter the kingdom of God, then we must enter in the way that God says we can. So I want to read you a few verses on that. The first one is found in Matthew seven twenty one, and it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. If we want to enter the presence of God, then we can't just say that he's Lord. We have to act as if he is our Lord. We have to do what he wants for us to do and not what we want to do. The next one is found in Mark 23 to 25. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. 
But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So this isn't saying that he will not allow a rich man into heaven, but he says if you trust in your riches to get you here, you will not get here. You still have to trust in Jesus in order to get into heaven. Your riches will not help you in that regard. So it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven because they do have so many riches and it's very easy to trust in those as opposed to the Lord. But if they do trust in the Lord, then rich people are definitely allowed to enter. Now listen to what it says in Luke eighteen seventeen. This is Jesus speaking again and he said, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven if we don't come in as if we're children. Innocent, trusting our father, submitting ourselves to him, placing ourselves underneath him as a child would. All of those things are required of us if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then listen to what it says in John 3, 5. This is Jesus again. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, He can't enter the kingdom of God. So if we are not born of the spirit in addition to the flesh, then we cannot enter the kingdom of God. So that is forbidding certain people from his presence. The only people that can enter the presence of God are those that are born of the spirit, those that trust him and submit themselves to him like a child, and those that not only call him Lord, but act as if he is their Lord. Those are the people that God allows into his presence. And so this is what he was telling Aaron. I only allow certain people into my presence at certain times in certain ways. And now I'm going to explain those ways to you. So let's read Leviticus 16, 4. And then we're going to skip down all the way to verse 29 and read the rest of the chapter. So verse 4 says... He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body, and he shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And so he's telling here that when Aaron enters into the presence of God behind the veil, into the most holy place, he must have on the humble priestly garments. Not the high priest garments, but the ones that are just for the common priests. Because whenever he enters into the presence of the Lord, he needs to enter humbly. Now, let's read in 29 all the way to the end of the chapter and see when he can enter and exactly who may enter other than Aaron. It says, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes and holy garments Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you 
to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So this tells us when Aaron can enter the presence of God, which is only one day a year on the 10th day of the seventh month. It also tells us that whoever the high priest is at the time, that is the only one that can enter behind the veil because it says the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place. His father would be Aaron. So whichever son is anointed as the high priest after Aaron, then he will perform this. So what that is telling us is that whoever the high priest is at the time, that is the one that will go in behind the veil on the 10th day of the seventh month and make atonement for the sins of Israel and for himself. And we learned at the end of verse three that this priest must come to God with sacrifices. And in verse four, it told us that he has to come in the humble priestly clothes. Now, while the priest is entering into the most holy place where he will be in the presence of the Lord, the people, it says in this passage, are not allowed to work because this is a solemn day of rest. And so this isn't just a regular rest day. This is a serious day of rest where they are to afflict their souls, it says. And so while the priest is making sacrifices on their behalf, they're supposed to be denying themselves, reflecting on their own sins, and repenting and ask that God accept that sacrifice that the priest is making on behalf of their sins and that he would cleanse them from all of their sins. Aaron is sending this sacrifice on behalf of all the people, but he doesn't know each person's sin. And so each person individually is supposed to be reflecting on their own sins and asking God for forgiveness and acceptance of that sacrifice on their behalf, and then deciding what in the next year they're going to turn away from, what they're going to do different. And God asked the same thing of us today. The only difference is we don't do this once a year. God asks that we are always denying ourselves and reflecting on our sins and repenting and turning away and asking that he would cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And so I want to read you a few verses on that. The first one is Luke 9, 23 and 24. This is Jesus again speaking to the people and he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So you see that it says daily, not yearly. So now that the new priesthood and the final sacrifice has been accomplished, if we want to follow after Jesus, then we must deny ourselves and daily die to ourselves and follow him daily turn away from our sins and to him following him. Now listen to what it says in Ezekiel eighteen thirty to 32. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. So this is the very definition of repentance. 
turning away from the sins, casting them away, and turning to the Lord, getting ourselves a new heart and a new spirit. This is what we're supposed to do. And then the last verse on this subject, 1 John 1, 9, and it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we will deny ourselves and repent of our sins and ask God to cleanse us, then we can be certain that he will forgive and cleanse us. Okay, so now that we know who is supposed to approach God and when he is supposed to approach him, now let's talk about how. So this is Leviticus 16, 11 to 14. And it says, Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So most of the time, it's courteous to let others go first, right? But this is one time whenever we should go first. When we're considering sins, our sins are the first ones we should consider. Jesus makes this point clear in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, the plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we have to consider our own sins and repent of them before we can even consider someone else's sins. They're not going to take us seriously, and we aren't pure enough to even address them. And it's the same thing with the high priest. He has to make himself right with God before he can begin to make the people right with him. And before the people would feel confident with him making that sacrifice on their behalf in the first place. And so on the day of atonement, the high priest would first offer the bull for himself and his household. And he would kill it and he would take some of the blood and he would take a fire pan full of coals and two handfuls of sweet incense, and he would bring all of this into the sanctuary. And then he'd light the incense on the altar so that the cloud of smoke would hover over the mercy seat and veil the presence of the Lord. Because if you remember, whenever God spoke to Moses on the mountain, he told him that no man can see his face or he will die. God's presence is too powerful for us. And so if it is not veiled in some way, we can't handle it. And so you understand that there is a specific reason that God is telling him to light the incense in this way. Every single thing that God is telling them to do has a purpose, and that's why it's so important that they fulfill it completely and exactly. And so after he lights the incense, 
He goes into the most holy place with the blood of the bull and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat and then seven times in front of the mercy seat. And remember that the number seven represents completion or perfection. And so he is completely cleansing this mercy seat with this blood. Blood washes away the sins. And so we see here that the priest is offering the sacrifice for himself first so that he can be forgiven of his sin before he offers for the other people. And this is where Jesus comes to better fulfill the position of high priest because he has no need to offer sacrifices for his own sins, right? Because he doesn't have any. We get confirmation of this in 1 John 3, 5. It says, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him there is no sin. That's why he's the perfect high priest because he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself first. And he's the perfect sacrifice because he is perfect, because there is nothing wrong found in him. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, without any imperfections. That is how Jesus presents himself. So that's the reason he can be the perfect sacrifice for us. Okay, so let's move on and see what happens after he has offered the sacrifices for himself. This is Leviticus 16, 5 to 10. And it says, He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kid of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. So we know he's already done that. Now verse 7. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat in the wilderness. So here it says that he takes the two goats that the people had brought as an offering and he casts lots for them. And one of these goats is chosen to die and the other one to be set free. And this is all just by chance. And then he is to take the goat that has been allotted to die and sacrifice him. And so let's read in verses 15 to 19 about how that's supposed to be performed. It says, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place, because the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions, for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement for the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleansing it and consecrating it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. 
And so he kills this goat and brings its blood into the most holy place and sprinkles it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat seven times, just as he did for his own sin offering of the bull. And then he took both of their blood, the bull and the goat's blood, and put it on the horns of the altar of incense and sprinkled it seven times around it so that he is making clean that altar also. So all of the sanctuary, the most holy place and the holy place is now cleansed with the blood of these sin offerings. And it also tells us here that no one was allowed inside the tabernacle whenever the high priest was presenting the offerings because he was meeting with the Lord and only he was allowed to meet with God. Okay, so let's see what happened to the other bull. This is verses 20 to 22. It says, When he had made the end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So after Aaron had made atonement for their sins with the two sin offerings, then he took the scapegoat and brought it before the Lord and laid his hands on his head and confessed the nation's sins over this animal. And then there was a designated man that would take this goat away into the wilderness. And so this scapegoat is taking the sins of the nation and running away with them outside the camp. He does this to demonstrate how the people have escaped the death that they deserve for their sins, right? And so it was just by chance that this scapegoat didn't get killed like the other goat. There wasn't anything special about this one. It wasn't more perfect than the other one. It was just by chance. And that is the same with us. It is not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of Jesus. And this was just giving the people a picture of their sins being placed on another and then being completely sent away, never to be seen again. They do not bear the consequences of their actions. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but I want to finish the rest of this chapter. So we're going to read verses 23 to 28. And it says, Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, take off the linen garments which he had put on when he went into the holy place, and leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer the burnt offering and the burnt offering for the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who released the goat as the scapegoat should wash his clothes and bathe his body with water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement for the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their insides. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. And so the one that took the scapegoat out had to wash his clothes and his body before he was allowed back inside the camp. And then Aaron would take off the humble priestly clothes and leave them in the sanctuary. And then he would bathe and then put on his royal high priest clothes. And then he would go outside and he would offer the burnt offering for himself and for the people. 
And then he would burn the fat of the sin offering on top of that as he had been instructed because all of the fat belongs to the Lord. But because the blood had entered behind the veil, because the blood was for Aaron and for the entire congregation, Aaron could not benefit from this sacrifice at all. And so these two sacrifices had to be taken outside of the camp and burned completely. They were not burned inside the camp because it was a picture of their sin. And so they were taking it out, taking it away, removing it from themselves and burning it outside the camp. And they would burn the skin and the meat and the insides, all of it on the ash heap outside of the camp. And then the one that burned it would also have to wash his clothes and bathe before he could come in. For this reason, Jesus also suffered outside of the city. I want you to hear what it says in Hebrews 13, 10 to 15, talks about this very thing. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one that is to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So Jesus died outside the camp too, so that he could take our sins and remove them from the city of Jerusalem, remove them from where the people dwelt and die for them outside of the city. That's why Jesus did this. And so like the scapegoat, Jesus bore sins on himself that he didn't commit, right? The goat didn't do anything wrong, definitely didn't do the things that were being confessed over it, but neither did Jesus because we already talked about how Jesus was sinless. And so Jesus took our sins But the difference is he didn't escape the consequences of those sins. He bore the consequences fully. The one that escaped the consequences of sin is us. He took our sins, not only outside the camp, but he nailed those to the cross and buried them so that they would be so far removed from us that we could be brought near to the Lord. And so I want to read you a couple of verses about that. The first one is found in Ephesians 2, 13, and it says, In Christ, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So our sins kept us away from God, but the blood of Jesus brought us near because he took those sins and he separated them from us and from the Lord, enabling us to be near God. And then listen to what it says in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So he died in order to bring us near to the Lord. Our sins were put to death. And then Jesus, yes, immediately suffered the consequences, but then rose again to show that it was completely done away with. And now he is alive and we are living with him. And because Jesus was a perfect sacrifice, his blood was brought into the presence of God to wash away our sins permanently. It just said once for sins that he died. Listen to what it says in Revelation 1, 5 and 6. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests in his God and Father, to him be all the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So because he loved us, he washed us from our sins with his blood. And then listen to what it says in Hebrews 9, verses 21 to 28. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. Therefore, it was necessary that the copy of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, but he then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away the sin of the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ, who offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And so like the high priest, Jesus went before us into the presence of God with a sacrifice so that we could appear clean to the Lord and follow Jesus into the presence of God. Now listen to what it says in Hebrews six nineteen to 20. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so our hope is in the one that can bring us into the presence of God behind the veil. He is the one that went before us so that we could also enter. But the only way we are able to enter the presence of God is with the blood of Jesus. We are to offer the blood of Jesus. Jesus offered his own blood already, but he, like the high priest, offered it on behalf of the whole nation. But each person individually had to examine themselves and repent of their own sins and ask God for forgiveness, ask God to accept that sacrifice on behalf of their own sins. And so we have to do the same. We have to enter into the presence of God with Jesus' blood as our offering. We have to say, God, I accept the death that Jesus died for me, for my sins, and I offer his sacrifice to you. And I pray that you see me covered in his blood and let that blood cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. And then we will be able to enter the presence of God here on this earth, only in part, but in heaven, he will not be veiled. We will see and experience his glorious presence to the fullest. Remember how I said that his presence was too powerful for us on earth. If Moses would have seen him, the power of God would have killed him. It would have been too much for him. But it won't be like that in heaven because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient forever. And so unlike on earth, whenever we can still sin, that will not happen in heaven. We will be completely clean forever. And so we'll be able to live in his presence and his power will not overwhelm us. 
Now, the last passage I want us to look at is Hebrews 10. And we're going to read the first 23 verses of this chapter because this talks about how Jesus came to better fulfill the picture that God created in the sacrificing of the animals by the high priest. It looked to the people as if Jesus was doing away with this. That's why the Jews rejected him, because they said, you're undoing everything that God's ever told us to do. And he said, no, I'm just fulfilling it more perfectly than you ever could. The priests had to do this in a completely different way, and it was insufficient to last forever. But my way is a perfect way, and so I'm fulfilling this in a way that you couldn't. So I want you to listen to the first 23 verses of chapter 10 in Hebrews. It says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have been ceased to be offered? For the worshiper, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away the sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you didn't desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come. In the volume of this book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying sacrifice and offering, burn offering and offerings for sin, you didn't desire, nor did you have pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he has offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, said the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, having the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our own bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so these yearly sacrifices could not fully perfect the Israelites. Their conscience was never completely clear because the animals could not really pay the consequences that were meant for the sins of a man. If these animals would have been perfect sacrifices, then there would have been no need for them to be offered year after year, continuously reminding the people of their sin. But they weren't sufficient. That's why they had to be offered over and over and over again. 
And so God sent Jesus to accomplish the things that had only been displayed by the people through the animal sacrifices. His perfection is what enabled him to be the last sacrifice that cleansed us forever. We're forgiven for eternity, so there's no need for any more sacrifices. No reason for us to be reminded of our sin over and over because those sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus and buried there with him. Let me read to you what it says in Colossians 2, 11 to 14. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through the faith of the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So he nailed our sins to the cross and buried them with him. And then our spirit, the new man with the new heart, rises with Jesus. And not only do we not have to be reminded continuously of our sins, but God is also not reminded about our sins over and over. That Hebrews 10 verse said that our sins will be remembered no more. It's not that God literally doesn't remember them. It's that he doesn't bring them to his remembrance. He does not remind himself of them because they've been carried far away, dead, buried, and gone. And so he perfected us forever with his blood so that there is no need for any more sacrifices. And because we have his blood, we can offer it to the Lord, and then we can confidently enter his presence. We can just follow Jesus right in, because Jesus opened the veil and he sprinkled our hearts with his blood. That's why we can enter, because we look clean to God. Just as all of the items in the sanctuary were being cleansed with the blood, and just as the priest and all the people were cleansed with the blood, we are cleansed with the blood of Jesus. And so he has sprinkled our hearts seven times, making our cleansing perfect and complete, everlasting. And so now we have a different law. The Levitical law was written and read to the people, but because of Jesus, the law is now written in our hearts and in our minds. Our conscience is clear. And so now all we have to do is hold on to the hope that Jesus gave us knowing that one day we will be joined with him, our high priest and our sacrifice, fully in the presence of God the Father. Jesus told the people this in John chapter 14. Listen to what he says in just the first few verses. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So he says, you don't need to be upset. You have reason to hope. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then skip down all the way to verse 23, and it says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. If we accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, and we take that sacrifice, to God and we offer it to him on behalf of our sins, then we will be able to enter into the eternal presence of the Lord and we will be able to make our home with him and with Jesus. 
we have a better atoning sacrifice than the Israelites did. That there was a reason that everything had to be done in a specific way because all of it was pointing to Jesus. The fact that it doesn't have to be done over and over again, the fact that he is perfect, the fact that he doesn't have to make a sacrifice for himself first and then for the people, the scapegoat, the carrying away of our sins, the dying outside of the camp, the sprinkling seven times with the blood, the incense cloud veiling the presence of the Lord, every bit of it pointed to how Jesus would someday fulfill all those requirements completely and perfectly. So thank him today. If you have not taken the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf and offered it up to the Lord for your sins, do that today. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And if you have, then deny yourself daily and follow him, Jesus, now on this earth as our example and eventually into the full presence of God for eternity in heaven. So that's all we have for today. Leave me a five-star review. That helps me out a lot. Also, you can leave comments. I'd love to know your thought on this lesson and any others. If you would like to email me, my email address is Courtney at livethroughjesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.